If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online. So any small business could be a driving force to create change or build an empire. We know old ideas aren't cutting it anymore. So we're calling for a new generation of thinking, your way of thinking. So whatever you have in mind that will help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet. It's up to us to make it happen. Start different at GoDaddy.com. This is an ode to Napa cabbage. Of all the cabbages on all the cabbage farms, only you have the crisp crunch worthy of our Bibigo Korean dumplings. No other cabbage would do, because no other cabbage tastes like you. We love you, Napa Cabbage. Just don't tell Green Onion. Napa Cabbage, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every hearty, flavorful Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. This is Podco Media Networks. On episode 128 of Confessions of a Marketer, breaking bad news. Hi, it's Mark Reed Edwards. Welcome back to Confessions of a Marketer. The number of this show, 128, has me thinking back to the early days of my career in technology here in Massachusetts. And Route 128 was the mecca. So many companies built on that corridor that kind of stretched from Route 128 to 495. But 128 is essentially gone. It's Route 95 now but I still refer to it as 128. I think of all the companies that originated on that corridor, and so many of them are gone now, absorbed into other bigger companies, gone out of business, great companies. But that's the nature of business and technology. You're a big hit one day, and then the next, you don't even exist. It's it's kind of a sad story, 128, but boy, it was a success. There was a book out, I think in the early 90s, late 80s, called Route 128 that was about that development of businesses along that corridor. It was a fascinating read. If you can pick it up, I had a copy of it for years and I don't have it anymore. I don't know where it went. Maybe I'll go on Amazon and buy it. It was it was a really fascinating perspective on the development of the Route 128 corridor. Pick it up and think back to that era. If you're old enough to remember Route 128, what were some of the businesses that are no longer in existence that were along that highway that winds through parts of eastern Massachusetts? And by wines, I mean wines. I mean, that highway has more twists and turns on it than I think any major superhighway in the country. Anyway, Route 128 on episode 128. Are you in the swing of the new year yet? Boy, it takes some time, but our business moves so fast that you have to be wide awake by now, or before you know, it'll be 2021. Am I really actually saying that, 2021? It's just the first week of 2020. So let's get going with this episode, and I won't belabor you more with discussions of Route 128 or anything else. Jeff Hahn is back, and we talk about his book, Breaking Bad News, and more. We'll get to that in a moment. 
Next time, Mel Edwards, global CEO of Wonderman Thompson, will be here. It was a wonderful chat that we had, and I was thrilled to have her on. Our discussion was wide and varied, and can't wait to share it with you. Soon, Joe Auer will expand on our discussion about SEO, and Jocelyn Kopak will be in to talk about building a great brand. Lots more coming up, so stay tuned. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. All right, back to Jeff Hahn. This time we chat about his book, Breaking Bad News, as well as the work his agency does to support Habitat for Bees. He's an Iowa farm boy, and the connection to fragile ecosystems is something he's passionate about. This is worth the time to listen to closely. Let's get to it. You have a new book out, Breaking Bad News. What's it about? Yep, Breaking Bad News is the name of the book. It's just out now. And what it does is effectively synthesize the five steps I mentioned earlier into a single cohesive model. That model is overlaid by the boogeyman of crisis. And that boogeyman is called cognitive dissonance. We know it better as, oh my God, what the hell's going on? It's a feeling that clouds your judgment. It typically results cognitively in tunnel vision. But I like to refer to it as a brain fog because dissonance floods in to rapid response team almost immediately upon activation. And what it does is it creates this sense of vulnerability. It's caused by a tension between what I believe and what has happened. And that's kind of funny to think about or strange to think about. Think about it this way. Think about Chipotle believes in freshness, but their products for a few years were beset by listeria contamination. It doesn't compute. How could it be that fresh isn't good? How could that possibly be? And you can feel just in my strange example and that questioning how Chipotle must have felt during that time. That's what's called dissonance. And it is an enormous driver of decisions in high-pressure situations. That overlays the five steps we talked about earlier. Yeah, but sometimes dissonance actually leads to some sort of success. You know, like if you ignore certain failure, you may not start your company. So a lot of companies build with that kind of, okay, yeah, the world tells us we can't do this. Spreadsheets say we can't do this, but let's put out the iPod anyway. It's that kind of thing. So that cognitive dissonance can be a positive thing, but in a crisis, it's never a good thing to kind of ignore the facts. You're right. The X factor is time. If I'm thinking about a product that may be disruptive, changing the world, I've got months or years to create the ideas and the cohesiveness of narrative around that. In a bad news break, you got a couple hours these days. But we've all been in meetings with companies, whether as consultants or as members of the team, where you think, are the people in this room really tuned into what the problem is? Do they really understand what the prospects are for the company? Are they really paying attention? And often the answer is no, but sometimes 
is impossible to get that message through. So how do you coach your clients and colleagues to actually puncture that balloon? Very difficult. But there is this principle that we teach. I use a device called the Cassandra Calculator. And if you're familiar with the fable of Cassandra, she was, in ancient Greece, a prophetess. She could see the future, but no one would believe her. It's the same thing that happens to consultants in the war room. We can state reality, but it gets negotiated through and dismissed. So there are several keys to be able to crack the code and puncture the bubble that a rapid response team might be into. Some of those include familiarity. Familiarity and having a sense of insiderness. If it's the first time for you to meet a rapid response team is when it's activated, you're going to have a difficult time convincing them that they're actually operating with the blinders on. That's one. The other is you can't ask a rapid response team to do something that feels way out of normal for them. That's part of the problem with Cassandra in the fables. She was telling the future, no one would listen to her because they couldn't comprehend, what is it that you want us to do? There's a horse coming into the city for the soldiers? <laughs> uh, this is right. ridiculous. Yeah. So we have to be really careful to not get too far ahead of ourselves. I call it staying in the present. Staying in the present is really tough because if you're always thinking about the implications when you're inside of the fog of dissonance. But these executives care about their reputation, I would imagine, their own personal reputation and the reputation of their company, yet they don't really put that into practice as often as they should. You know, companies think about brand, customer service, obviously making money, but a lot of them just don't even consider reputation management. Can you define that for my listeners and tell them why it's important? Well, sure. And there's good reasons for companies to do what they do. They are creating a product, food product, for example, and in that process, they are generating brand equity. We might, in the crisis practice, call that a reservoir of goodwill. This is a good thing. People trust your brand. They trust your product. In the moments when you have a bad news break, draw on that reservoir and trust your consumers. What happens is when it's ignored altogether, you can have very significant financial implications. I'll just tick off a few. In Chipotle's Listeria crisis, $730 million in value was lost in six months. Many of your listeners might be familiar, especially those in the southern states, with Bluebell Creameries, Bluebell Ice Cream. Bluebell in 2015 was forced to lay off more than half its workforce. About 1,400 people lost their jobs. And the company lost $180 bucks in a year. It was so cash-strapped that it had to sell off a third of the company to a billionaire up in Dallas named Sid Bass just in order to stay in business. And you might remember back, this is a company called Beef Products Incorporated. Do you remember Pink Slime? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Pink Slime. Now, BPI ended up suing ABC News, and this is all in 2012 when Pink Slime hit the news for $1.9 billion in damages. And just a couple of years ago, ABC News and its parent company, Disney, settled that case for somewhere in the neighborhood of $225, $227 million. When we think about the implications of ignoring 
the protection part of your brand work, you can roll the dice and see what happens. But history tells us that there is a roll up. And if you suffer a bad news break that you can't control, you can expect to say goodbye to a few million dollars. I was watching earlier today, Mark Benioff at Dreamforce 19 was interrupted by a protester. And he very coolly said, okay, I'll give you 30 seconds to state your case. And the protester stated his case and then was escorted out. To me, that's like, he's obviously a very skilled, experienced entrepreneur and executive who's been around the block a billion times. How do you train executives to perform under the stress of that kind of thing or a crisis, whether they're in interviews, you know, whether they're on 60 Minutes or in front of employees and the public to stay cool? Because he was probably really irritated by that. But, and I've seen other executives and politicians and so forth handle things in wildly different ways when all someone wants to do is have their voice heard. And if you acknowledge that, it's far easier to get over that crisis by just being cool about it, saying, okay, speak your turn. And then the issue is over instead of making a big problem out of it. Well, it's a great example of an executive in a small moment actually acting on behalf of the brand in a large way. Brands have to do the same thing. If they react quickly, then audiences judge them as responsive. Even if they don't like the response, they were responsive. In this example that you talk about, Benioff stopped, you get to say your piece, and he can choose to respond to it or not and continue on. Did the brand suffer in that moment? Hmm, maybe not as much as if Benioff would have said, hey, get that guy out of there and punch him a few times on your way. So he's got a lot of practice, it's obvious. And when we think about rapid response teams, practice is the key. We put our clients through simulator training and simulator training involves, for us, it's a build on strengths kind of coaching mechanism. And we use the models presented in Breaking Bad News to run clients through a series of escalating crises events. These scenarios, they're constructed to cause dissonance and expose gaps in the brand's preparation. The full-day simulators are exhausting, I have to say. They're exhausting <laughs> to run, and clients typically hate our guts afterwards. They just want us out of their face. But it's sort of like me. I hate my personal trainer every time I see her, but I know it's good for me, right? This is, back to your point and example, it's a learned skill. It is an unnatural way to behave, and you have to understand your position, status enters into that, and your capabilities of responsiveness in order to command that moment. Very much a learned skill. They often say that sitting presidents in the first debate, if they're going up for re-election, in the first debate, they always struggle with someone on their same level questioning what they have done because generally they're surrounded by unnecessarily toadies, but people who try and support them, right? And when they go out on that debate stage for the first time in four years, they're taken aback at how negative some other people can be. Oh, exactly. And that's simply the manifestation of a lack of practice. Yeah. Pushing yourself out into discomfort 
zones and allowing people to just pound on you for a while. And then he's like, thank you very much. Dust off. And now I'm better prepared for the next time. So I'll, I'll get back to marketing, communications, and PR and so forth as we wrap up in a few minutes. But I saw one interesting thing that your agency does is create Habitat for Bees. This is an ecosystem in collapse, and it's such important work. I just want to find out how you seized upon this as an effort that you'd undertake. I know you have a background growing up in Iowa. Yeah, grew up on a farm in northeast Iowa. Yeah, and obviously that informs this. So tell me about it. A few years ago, that my mother gets the credit for this. A few years ago, she turned all of her remaining acreage on the farm into a butterfly and bee sanctuary. All of the cropland she's decided not to plant anymore because, it, you know, at this stage of her life, she values what those pollinators bring to the earth. And you are very much right. It is a crisis situation. About a third of our food products come from pollinators. And that's not just bees, that's butterflies and hummingbirds, etc. Even wasps. So I used to really be on a rampage when it came to wasps, but <laughs> not anymore. I don't touch them. I try and help them get just find a safer place away from me. And so without pollinators, our food supply is in big trouble, which is core to our business. Hey, here's something even worse. Without pollinators, our distilled spirits our beer and our wine are going to be hard to find. Well, you can't mess with that. Come on. That's going to cause enormous social unrest. You don't want any part of that. So we got to save the bees, if for nothing else, our beer. And so what is bee habitat and butterfly habitat? What is it? Well, butterflies and bees are attracted to different medium in terms of flowers. But if it's got a flower, you'll find a bee that's interested in it. That's typically best Per zone, each of our zones in the U.S., I think there's seven planting zones, have indigenous flowers that bees and pollinators love. And so in every zone, you can find through your agricultural extension agency, the flowers that attract and support bee and butterfly and all pollinator life the best. You don't want to mess too much with the zones. For example, there are plants called literally butterfly bushes. And butterfly bushes will thrive in certain areas of the country, but not in others. So you want to be careful not to try and put plants where they don't belong. And my mother's acreage, for example, she's just doing broadcast wildflowers that thrive in Northeast Iowa. Well, of course, the soil there is so good, you can drop a rock and it'll grow. (laughs) That's great. Well, that's important work you're doing. But let's get back to the real world of marketing, communications, and PR. How do you see things going over the next decade or so? What do you think the world that we work in, and specifically the world of food that you work in, what's the next decade going to be like? Have you heard that phrase, precision medicine? Yep. It's kind of like, boy, for every person, there's going to be a specific chemistry that we can control and make them help them be healthy. I think the same thing is going to be true in the next decade with marketing communication, precision communications. Every brand's going to own a real understanding of its audience and be able to deliver messages to a person based on what that person wants to receive. And that desire, that want is going to change as a person evolves through life. So it'll be incumbent upon marketers and communicators to migrate with those 
changes, that evolution in a person's life. If the era of communications marketing has fused these different disciplines together, along with all the data and the digital analytics that are available, like with your guest, John McDonald, John was talking about that, all of this conversion rate optimization is going to end up focusing on precision marketing over time. And that'll just be the application of enormous amounts of data per every consumer. So we get down to kind of a genomic molecular level of targeting. Not only that, but predictive. Yeah. It's kind of like, hey, Mark, uh, you did this and this and this. Therefore, we believe you're going to go buy 50 pounds of dog food next week. Yeah, well, there's a good chance of that. (laughs) Hey, see? (laughs) You knew. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you how. Have you been looking at my Amazon account or something? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I tell you, Jeff, this has been wide ranging and some of the stuff that we discussed, I wasn't expecting to cover, but it's all so important to modern marketing to understand this. And I really appreciate you joining me. Well, it's been my pleasure. I love listening to your podcast, by the way. I think it's so interesting and I really appreciate the opportunity to be a guest. Thanks so much. All right, next time we are honored to have Mel Edwards. No relation, by the way. She's global CEO of Wonderman Thompson. She'll be on the show next time, so stay tuned. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Podco Media Networks, and this episode is copyright 2020. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. See you next time.